Hey everybody, welcome to Grounded Truth, a podcast where we gather some of the world's most influential data scientists, machine learning practitioners, and innovation leaders for conversations on the most relevant topics in AI today. I'm your host, John Singleton, co-founder and head of success at Watchful, the world's most efficient way to explore and label unstructured text for your data analytics and machine learning workflows. You can try Watchful for free today at www.watchful.io. And today I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Brentke. She's the founder and CEO of Electio the first startup, and I guess I really should say company, fully focused on data prep ops. Uh, her team is on a mission to help machine learning teams build models with less data and hence more cost efficiently. Prior to Electio, Jennifer was the VP of machine learning at Figure 8. She also built an entire ML function from scratch at Atlassian and has led multiple data science projects on the search team at Walmart Labs. How's it going, Jennifer? Thank you so much for taking the time to join us yeah, today. Pleasure, John. It's, my, uh, it's always exciting to talk to you. I'm, going, uh, I'm doing really great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, I guess a good place to start, because it's probably a new word for at least some percentage of the listeners here. What is data prep ops? Uh, it absolutely uh, and, you know, is a new term. So basically, like, so, uh, yeah, I mean, so you like i think somebody hearing the term for the first time would uh Im immediately associate the the term to data preparation on the one hand and on the other end to ml ops right i mean so basically like a, just like ml ops there are tons of different ways you could define data prep ops right so one way you can look at this is like a you know like a uh, basically, like uh, uh, the operational side of data preparation, or should I even say, like uh, of uh, data centric AI, right? I mean, so if you want to put things a little right. bit more in context, like when you, you like what we, we mean by data prep ops is essentially like uh, uh, the enablement, uh, automation, facilitation of, of data preparation. So most people are used to the term data preparation in the context of machine learning as, you know, like uh, uh, things like data labeling synthetic data generation, data augmentation, like even data cleansing and whatnot, right? And uh, when you're a practitioner, you realize that preparing your data takes a ridiculous number of steps. It's ridiculously complicated from, you know, like a, uh, the purpose of like having to look for the right solutions, the right tools. Uh, even if you're going to use a data labeling company, uh, you have to hunt for the perfect company that's just right for your use case, uh, that's within budget or whatnot, right? I mean, so so data preparation is all of this, like a data prep ops is really all of these things, right? I mean, so uh, one, one way you should see like this, this field maturing nowadays, right, is basically that uh, 10 days ago, uh, or sorry, 10 years ago, when data scientists were getting started with machine learning, like I remember when I started my career, uh, people doing machine learning, or uh, as you would call them, data scientists, would be people with scientific backgrounds or computer scientists that had a, a rare talent for modeling. And back in those days, there was no solution for deploying, tuning, uh, basically like uh, managing your machine learning model. So when you were a data scientist, even if you knew how to model when you were at the stage where this needed to go to production, you were on your own, right? And so uh, years later, like when you look at the state of the of the industry today, you have tons of companies and solutions helping uh, make it like super easy to tune a model, to do Bayesian search optimization, basically like do lots of things that normally you would have to do manually, right? And at the Right. time you did not see like uh, like uh, the, the market didn't really focus on making the task of data preparation a lot easier right and uh, i i basically like i'm anticipating that the same shift uh, is going to be observed soon but we use the same similar sort of term where ml ops basically brought 
uh, you know, like this facilitation that made it easier for really any engineer to do machine learning. Like nowadays, like we're bringing the same idea, like uh, doing data preparation uh, more accessible to the masses, at least people with an engineering background, so that they don't have to worry about uh, all of the pesky little details that normally you would have to you would have to go through. So directly addressing, I think, the meme of uh, what does a data science scientist do 80% of the time, prep data 20% of the okay, time, exactly. do the modeling. Well, one pro- makes sense. Well, it, it would make sense to focus on that 80%. I, I, I sure hope so, right? And basically, like one thing that <laughs> I think we're really bringing to the market right now, and so in many ways, like I see Watchful and many other companies like being part of that new ecosystem, right? I mean, which is really like, a, you know, like a, uh, using technology for data preparation. Uh, I would even say making data preparation cool again. I don't know if it was ever cool before, <laughs> but like making it cool now and basically like a, uh, really like using like a, the same techniques and the same technologies you're, 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 you're seeing for ML ops, like a, a DevOps, like a infrastructure workflows uh, and uh, you know, like a versioning and whatnot. And even at, to a larger extent, like AI for the purpose of preparing a a really strong data set, a high quality data set. Yeah. And you used a a word here that I want to, I want to touch on and uh, get a definition from you on because as a, we are big proponents of this concept as well, but you mentioned, you know, the rise of data centric AI, could you do us a favor and define that and kind of uh, why that's so important in the context of uh, data prep, data prep operations? Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically like when you, when you look like historically, like I I always loved putting things in context. So basically like, I think like uh, if you, you replay like the events over the past few decades, like it's, it's actually like a very helpful to understand why we are are still in this age of model-centric AI, right? I mean, so maybe first I'll, I'll start by explaining what, what model-centric AI is, right? I mean, so uh, model-centric AI is nothing else than basically like putting all of your focus on tuning, improving your models. And this is really what we've all been doing uh, for, for many years now, right? I mean, so so ju- just for the little story, which I think like sort of like sets everything in context, right? When I got my first official job as a data scientist, which was uh, in uh, uh, basically like in the, the ad industry, right? Uh, like many other people in those days, I was hired to do something with AI, right? I mean, or with data, right? right. And that company was under the impression that they had a lot of data uh, and they, they didn't quite know what to do, but everybody was telling them data is the new oil, right? I mean, you're sitting on a gold mine and whatnot, which was probably true for uh, the ad industry back in the days, right? And then, so what I did is like completely out of an accident, like I was hired in order to work with a more senior person who unfortunately left before I joined the company. So I was completely on my own with very little knowledge of like data pipelines, data engineering, right? So I had to do the digging myself, right? And so as I explore the data that, that's available to them back then. It's like, this is just like really rudimentary data. They were collecting like basically like, you know, like uh, uh, the device and the, uh, the OS that was used by, by, by their users. And it's like, there is no predictive power whatsoever in the data that you have right now, right? I mean, so I'm in this situation where I'm being asked to do data science with no data or no valuable data, right? And- uh, so blood, blood from a stone, like, like, stone, so to speak. So basically like, so what happened at that stage is like, okay, I'm going to 
go through everything that we could potentially collect that they haven't been collected just yet, right? Uh, and so basically, I made a list of like interesting features that I foresaw as being like a more predictive than whatever existed back back in the days in their ecosystem, right? And then I had to sit there for a few months while the data was being collected, right? And then uh, eventually, as like the data is here, I'm going to start doing some modeling around this or whatnot. And this is when I realized geez, the data that would have really been useful for that model. Well, I forgot to basically put that in the list that I wanted basically the engineering team to to, to basically track properly, right? I mean, so so at that stage, I, I'm not going to ask them for another three months of their time because obviously, like, a, you know, like, a, you need to bring value to the organization. So I have now to make my model work the, uh, based on the data that's available, right? I mean, so basically, like, this really puts like a data scientist in a situation where you know, like, it's 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 all about modeling, and you have to feed the model to the data, and you really have to treat the data as a static object that has, you know, like you have no opportunity to improve, to change, or whatnot, right? So th this right. is, and so basically, like, so so many other people faced the same conditions back in the days, right? I mean, that basically the data was what it is. And we felt like, you know, like, uh, uh, we're not going to get the time, the means, the budgets to really improve that data, spend more time, like, investigating, like, which which data would make sense for uh, for getting there and whatnot, right? I mean, so anyways, right? So we got used to that model-centric kind of approach where the data is what it is, but then you can play with the model, you can modify architectures, you can modify uh, algorithms that you're going to use and whatnot, right? Then fast forward. Nowadays, it's a lot easier to collect data because we have better hardware, because like the labeling industry has become more mature and whatnot, right? I mean, so still a lot of us and a lot of the industry has been, you know, like frozen in this state where really my job is about modeling, improving the model and making it work with whatever data I have right now. When really you shouldn't think about it that way because like like collecting new data has become fast, cheap, easy. Like we've all become like data collection machines for our cell phones and whatnot, right? I mean, so, and, and truly like what we're capable of doing right now is what we call data-centric AI, right? I mean, so data-centric AI is like instead of tuning your model, improving your model and iterating your model, now you can do the same with the data, right? And I'm not just talking about human in the loop labeling where you can modify the labels or whatnot, but you really have an opportunity to address weaknesses of the performance of your model, not by changing the model itself, but by changing the data. Now, what's very interesting is like there's still this resistance on the market because we've been trained that basically the data is what it is that you almost like people people feel like I cannot change the data because I'm cheating. You're not cheating more than if you were cheating when you're modifying or tuning your model, right? And you're also <laughs> operating, like you're also making changes so that your model eventually responds closer in the way that you're expecting it to, right? So basically data-centric AI, like at a high level, is like the, 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 the process of building and improving a machine learning model by iterating, modifying, improving, and tuning the data, as opposed to doing that with... Uh, with just changing the model. And so that 
gives rise to a ton of problems that people don't necessarily foresee, but one of which being like you need to basically like version the data, maintain the data, tune the data in real time, which basically like, and that's that's another topic that I think we should cover, which is uh, how is data prep ops different from data ops? Data ops, like, you know, like basically like a, the way people define it is like the management of data, but practically on a, in a static manner, right? I mean, so basically like a, where you're going to put your data, how you're going to structure it, how security layers are going to be put in place or whatnot, right? I mean, where data prep ops is really like the dynamic maintenance and improvement and, you know, like a growth of a, the data set for the purpose of, you know, like a machine learning, right? I mean, so in a way, another way to define data prep ops is like, it's this field uh, and this area of competency, which is st stuck between the data ops universe and the ML ops universe, right? Because we all know, like, as practitioners, that if you're going to use a data set for the purpose of doing machine learning with it, uh, you don't just pull what you have out of your data lake or your database or whatnot, right? And you really need to convert that raw data set into a machine learning ready data set. And making a machine like a, a data set machine learning ready dynamically as you train the machine learning model that you're focused on is basically what data prep ops is. Yeah. Th so basically, the uh, what we've been told for so long that you know models will become commoditized over time. The rise of foundation models, large language models, ChatGPT, so on and so forth. And now, you know, exactly companies are having to realize exactly what everybody had been saying for years and years and years is data is what matters. And so that now it's at the forefront to have better tools, systems, and so forth to deal with this consistent change. And I think uh, you said it perfectly in the, uh, it's contextualized really well in the difference between data ops, which is where the focus is on like security access, read, write, uh, and, you know, ultimately, and I've said this before, like deterministic kind of measures uh, around dealing with data is data prep ops and the rise of machine in the value of machine learning workflows uh, or workloads, I should say, uh, has really given this need for managing, I think of it like almost like the conceptual layer, the semantic layer on data in com combination with the model. So there's ultimately a need now to have tools and processes and uh, you know technologies that help deal with non-deterministic outputs and states that do ultimately have a requirement of some review or validation, uh, and then managing all of that uh, non-determinism in a reasonable and deterministic way, I think is really where the, the secret yeah, sauce yeah. lies. And uh, yeah. maybe that's a good segue to, you know, tell me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I was going to say, the, gonna the, say the, the one more thing I would say is like basically like you're talking about like non-deterministic uh, deterministic system, right? I mean, basically like what I would say also, which is like a new dimension in my opinion to like data engineering, data management and whatnot, right? I mean, it's really like, a, uh, you know, like I would quickly like cover like basically the concept of data quality, right? I mean, data quality is like a, yes. a really important concept for people who specialize in data ops right but uh, I, I like to bring up like basically like the idea of like like you brought you brought the idea of value right I mean basically I think it's an incredibly important concept for data prep ops and for machine learning in general that data quality is only part of the story right I mean so you can have the prettiest like mo most like cleanest database with no missing values and whatnot you can have extremely high resolution pictures if they do not relate and they are not like valuable in the context of what you're trying to do with them, uh, it, it yep. doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, so basically, like, in other terms, I would say you can have, like, a 
picture perfect like uh, images of like Mount Everest if I'm doing facial recognition it doesn't help me right and so in some way like I think like data props is also like giving rise to like a, you know like a, uh, what I call like uh, uh, functional data quality right I mean so basically I would I would basically yes. so, like like separate basically like the like structural data quality which is what everybody talks about but also like the the functional data quality which is like really like the purpose and the the alignment between the the data that you have and the the use case you're trying to 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 work on right a hundred percent and uh you know I guess maybe selfishly as someone with a company in the labeling space, uh, it's, I look at it all as just, it's all just labels. Um, it's just kind of how you're applying them and where in the workflow that they're being applied or being assessed. But I think one of the things that I've, I've most enjoyed by diving deep into the space and that, you know, as a non relatively non-technical individual researcher by background is, uh, ultimately this incredibly complex problem of like defining quality in non-deterministic, you know, uh, it, in unstructured data when, when ultimately what is quality today, and I think you put it perfectly as a functional kind of data management is what is good today, a law could pass tomorrow and it is no longer quality. This is a bad output in the context of this completely arbitrary idea that we've now applied due to some machinations outside of this, you know, this lonely little database and table where now everything in it is fu functionally wrong. Uh, based on the expectations or the, what the, a model needs to output uh, and ultimately and everything in data prep ops. And I think a lot of what people are trying to wrangle in, you know, putting large language models in production and uh, are all coming into this core concept of dealing with this incredible amount of uncertainty and then the management of concepts, just ultimately the management of concepts and data when the space of these concepts is ever changing and ultimately like limitless. Uh, it, it kind of, you can start getting pretty heady pretty quick, uh, just thinking about, you know, what is a concept? Why is this a good concept? Why does this align? And it's really just an iterative process where even as humans, we all kind of come back and have to agree as languages even rise and die. We have to agree. What do these concepts mean? What are the tools that we use to describe these, con uh, this context? And then how do we all keep kind of updated on things that are past just maybe like common knowledge? This is a fork. This is a spoon. We all interact with those, uh, what if there's a new utensil? How do you know it, what do we call that? And how do we all agree upon what we call this new utensil? And then now we have this whole world of, you know, machine learning models that now need to acquire that and learn this new, you know, this kind of new, uh, this new form of, of what a utensil can be. Uh, it really creates an interesting problem. And, uh, I think one that we're only really starting to scratch the surface of today with, uh, kind of the, with, I, really with the rise of large language models, yeah, I think, uh, absolutely. it's becoming a very first first and foremost kind of problem in people's minds. So maybe that's a good, uh, a good segue here. What does Electio do? Well, How does I mean, Electio so work? How, why, why would I purchase Electio? In a, I am someone who cares about data and producing models. Um, why would I... Why would I come to you? The, the way, so, you know, like, basically, like, so I describe data prep ops, right? I mean, so basically, like, there's the definition of data prep ops as a space, right? I mean, so as a space, I really see, like, all kinds of companies, including, like, labeling companies using technology like yours, right? I mean, labeling companies using services, like, uh, label, like, label tools, like companies, right? I mean, basically, like anybody, like even vector search to some extent, right? I mean, basically, like, a, uh, so you have lots, like, it's a huge ecosystem of basically, like, everything that needs to happen, like, from the moment you 
you have raw data sitting somewhere and that data needs to hit your your machine learning model for training, right? I mean, so so most of what, so Alectio started originally like from uh, from a perspective of data curation, right? I mean, so basically like my very first uh, uh, most, most important mission was in a bloated world where you have extremely large data sets and that, that relates very nicely with like uh, LLMs and foundational models, right? Uh, I yep. couldn't believe that basically like every single one of the records that you would see in them uh, would have the same informational value for a specific model, right? I mean, so basically, like in other terms, right. you can have 10 million pictures that you collected in the context of autonomous driving after all of your cars went to like downtown, like San Francisco, like driving uh, up and down, right? Uh, but at some point when you drive like 20 times through the same intersection at the same time of day with an empty, uh, an empty street ahead of you, right? There is only that much new information that the model can get from it, right? I mean, so basically like you have right. all of this consideration that hopefully, hopefully, like if you have 10 million pictures, maybe 1 million of them or maybe like 10,000 of them really have a true impact on the learning process of the model, right? So like basically like what data creation is, is like basically like distill the information and separate the information from the data from the noise, right? I mean, so basically you have to think of, of any data set as uh, a big mass of like, uh, you know, like uh, like zeros and ones, but not everything is information, right? And basically like information right. comes down to the level of entropy, like in your data, right? I mean, and so basically like you can have a very large data set empty of any information and uh, very, uh, on the contrary, basically relatively small data sets with very dense uh, or very high information density, right? I mean, so so data curation can be done in many different ways, right? I mean, basically, like, uh, fundamentally, it's an information theory problem. Uh, I basically, like, believe that one of the most interesting paths to get there in the context of machine learning uh, was the concept of active learning, right? I mean, so active learning is basically, like, a, uh, instead of, like, taking your entire data set, annotating your entire data set, and forcing or force-feeding that into whatever machine learning model you're using, what you do is like, you take a little bit, you annotate, you reassess the state of the model, right? How you reassess the state of the model, you have very simplistic approaches where you infer on the rest of the data, you rely on the confidence score to basically tell you where the model is struggling and whatnot. Uh, after like spending years doing research in that space, like you you know that sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. Uh, that that depends a lot on the type of model and uh, and so forth and so on, the amount of data, the type of data, the, the you know, like basically the, the circumstances, what you're trying to achieve with it, right? Fundamentally speaking, like that notion of like low confidence score is necessarily a signal that the model is going to see benefit in using that data. Or basically, like you cannot necessarily correlate like the information density with a low confidence score at a specific point in time, right? I mean, so this is everything we're working on, right? I mean, so basically, like fundamentally, it was like, a, how do you use technology to truly identify during the training process which subset of your data truly matters? Originally, mostly for dropping the time of a training process or the duration of a training process, like uh, increasing go-to-market and reducing labeling costs, right? Over time, like right. basically, like the mission became more about like also like increasing the quality of a model, right? And solving a, a range of other problems going from, you know, like just like the labeling problem to uh, explainability, observability, basically like a... Uh, just like sheer raw, like a uh, model performance and, and fundamentally like a uh, really like the science of like how information gets transferred from 
the training data set into the machine learning model, right? And then I realized something very important, like about two years into the existence of the company, right? I mean, that if you're going to do something as ambitious as selecting the data while you're training a machine learning model in a universal manner, uh, you're also going to have to annotate the model in real, oh, sorry, the, the, the data in real time. You're going to have to validate mm -hmm. those annotations in real time. You're going to have to basically like a uh, version the annotations as you keep going, right? I mean, and basically like at some point, uh, if you're missing some data because truly what you're trying to do is like to get a data set that represents the world in a way that the model can comprehend, it's also possible that you're going to be missing some information that does not exist in your uh, in your in your data set, right? I mean, so basically, like, how can you use like synthetic data generation and generate the right data to basically complement your data set, right? All of this, if you do in real time, you need real time architecture, real time infrastructure, you need real time processes, you need like something that's really like a fast and efficient and easy to use, just the same way that uh, if you're going to tune a model like a gazillion times, you need something that doesn't take three hours to convert, right? I mean, so basically, like, so eventually this is where, you know, like, basically, like, uh, uh, the company, uh, like, ended up, like, extending its product beyond just curation, right? The first version of the product was... A, a sort of an ecosystem where you would like connect your model, you would connect your data, and we would tell you which part of the data would deserve your attention and you should focus on, right? Uh, eventually, mm -hmm. now it's like the full coordination end-to-end -end where uh, the true vision is like, we use AI, MLOps, like other machine learning techniques, information theory, and whatever we need to, to basically like a completely like a take care and automate or semi-automate, put the entire data preparation process on autopilot by relying on other parts of the ecosystem, right? I mean, so basically, like, for example, somebody who would want to use us on in complement with what you guys do, right? I mean, basically, like, what we would do is, like, we would identify, like, which data uh, they should actually focus on, but then we don't necessarily do the labeling ourselves. In fact, we don't have like a, you know, like a powerful labeling tools, even though we have a couple, but like we don't have like a, a, a platform or a full workforce of like a really talented, like labeling, uh, uh, labeling experts or whatnot. But what we do is basically like a, we have all of the systems to route the selected data to the right party, ways to basically validate and cross-check that the way the annotations were generated, it would not harm and it would not like destroy your machine learning model. We have ways to detect that, you know, like there is no catastrophic forgetting situation happening over there. So it's really like the full skeleton uh, of, you know, like whatever operation needs to happen between the data ops layer and the uh, and the ML ops layer, right? Knowing that right. I'm a big, big believer that just like within, within the concept of, of ML ops, right? You truly don't have a company that does everything end to end, right? I mean, you have companies that tend to have like a really core expertise for the deployment of a machine learning model, for the maintenance of a machine learning model, for observability, deciding when it's time to retrain your model and whatnot, like the same applies here. But we're really bringing like a infrastructure and the skeleton so that you can, you can, as a data scientist, you can focus on doing other things such as like uh, sitting there, looking for the right labeling company, making sure the annotations are done right, uh, deciding which augmentation you should you should take care of. Or whatnot. Yeah, it, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really curious over the past, because we've seen a big shift in our customer base and what they're working on and just the market in general. I'm curious, uh, how have you seen 
the need for data prep ops and particularly uh, what you're seeing from either prospects, your customers, and what they're applying your tool for uh, in the rise of LLMs, which is, I think, really brought, as mentioned before, kind of data at the forefront of everybody's mind, because here we have this massively useful pattern matching tool effectively, uh, or pattern guessing tool and generation tool. Um, everybody's trying to figure out what can we do with it. We need better data. I see fine tuning as a workload that is if not dominating today, will continue to rise as one of the more important kind of workflows to get specific results out of foundation models uh, moving forward, especially as we improve at the quality of those foundations, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're moving kind of from this big data to a small data problem. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, how, how are you seeing the shift in you know this post chat GPT world yeah. uh, and more and more companies getting online and recognizing that one with fewer resources, both human capital and otherwise, they can deploy and build impressive, let's say at a minimum, whether they're good, I, I'll pass, we can pass judgment later, yeah. uh, applications oh, with absolutely. Uh, these foundation well, models. So, so, you know, it's it's interesting because like fundamentally, like the first time, so my, my story around like there is too much data, you need to use active learning to get, you know, like a, out of the curse of like, you know, like a incredibly slow, expensive and, uh, you know, like a human capital extensive, basically like a notation processes, right? Uh, it goes back to my days at Walmart where obviously like the core uh, problem I was focused on was search relevance, right? And then, so I think like back in the days, like even the early dates of labeling in general, right? I mean, basically like I uh, was like, a, that, that was like the, the, the core application in AI. So naturally it was the core application or the core need for, uh, the labeling industry in general, right? And so, uh, fast forward a few years later, when I started Electio, which was four four years ago, right? I mean, so the the big need of the moment in terms of like data preparation and the big focus in AI was autonomous driving, right? I mean, so basically, like because the way that we build the platform was uh, not specific to any use case, because like I always had like this this ambition of like really like approaching the problem from a meta learning perspective, right? I mean, where really like you build an engine that can observe what happens within any machine learning model and make decisions accordingly, right? So naturally, there was a big need in autonomous driving, not that this was warranted or necessary by the means of the of the platform because like we, we could really like support like pretty much any use case, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, basically like, uh, you know, like uh, what we do obviously goes where the money goes on the market, right? I mean, there was a lot of capital in autonomous driving. Naturally, there were a lot of autonomous driving companies looking for better ways and uh, better solutions to, you know, like make, uh, make their models better. And uh, that was the space where, you know, like people eventually started realizing like I can't, I can keep paying like $10 million a year for just the sake of annotating data. Uh, I don't even know at what quality level I'm going to get the data annotated or whatnot, right? I mean, so uh, it was right. a re relatively like natural fit, right? Over time, you started seeing the same shift as everybody else, right? I mean, basically like more and more companies like working on like conversational AI chatbots, right? I mean, basically like I would say like two years ago started becoming like a, a little bit more centric to AI in general and to, you know, like a, uh, our our customers' needs, right? Um, and so, like, you could already see that there's a shift coming, like, from, you know, like, a, uh, AI research being focused on autonomous driving and vision back to, you know, like, a, 
uh, chatbots and, and language, right? I mean, I say back because right. remember that before autonomous driving was called search relevance was cool, which is also a language problem, right? I mean, uh, or in, in big parts, like a language problem, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so there's a constant shift, but like basically the big, big shift that's happening now, like generally speaking, is like, of course, uh, those models are getting bigger and bigger. Who says a bigger model right. says more data more necessary like you know like a, to the extent that now people are getting worried that they're like we are gonna run out of money to tra to train like a a chat gpt on right i mean so and this is eventually going to be a problem right and so uh we're seeing more and more of a shift as well towards like you know like going from this is just like a cost problem this is just like a like a, a labeling reduction problem more towards like um you know, like, uh, we do realize that if you feed the entire internet to train, uh, an LLM, right? I mean, basically, like, not everything that you find on the internet is reliable. Uh, not everything is true, right? I mean, so basically, like, uh, uh, we're, we're seeing more of a need for towards, like, can we use your solution for data lineage for traceability of the data for right. basically like a uh, looking for like potential like basically like a uh, uh, inconsistency in the data right i mean one of the things that we're also trying to achieve like via active learning is basically like this sort of like a uh, uh, is my model surprised to see a specific like label at a specific point in time and can you use this information to basically like a uh, uh, predict like unreliability of the input right i mean so this is where everything's gonna like tie together right i mean so something you said earlier which i think is very important i think like uh and i could see that like uh, coming for a long time ago where which is like foundational models there's like truly a race to the bottom it's going to become commoditized which is think about it like you're really putting ai in the hands of everybody right i mean if you look at the chat gpt yeah. I, I i i talk about chat gpt basically like one term i like to use for chat gpt is you know like uh it's it's like ai in the box right uh i yeah. think like the way that you know like uh we experts really need to drive like the you know like i would say like the generalization uh, and, uh, you know, like basically the popularization of AI is not necessarily by providing AI in a box, because I don't think this is like realistic, but empowering anyone to build the application that they need to build, right? I mean, so basically like, uh, just to yeah. give you an example is like, uh, uh, I'm sure you've, uh, you've, uh, like talked and heard of, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, the, the segment anything model from, from Meta, right? Yeah. So basically like, so, yeah. and even though like it's, it's not language related, I think the, the problem statement and basically like the changes we're going to see on the market are very related, right? Uh, people believe like now you can automate everything, like basically like, uh, through, segment anything you don't need like a uh, people doing segmentation like uh, annotations anymore right uh just think of that use case right now right i mean where uh insurance companies trying to segment like the parts of a car that have been damaged to basically predict whether or not it makes sense to even try to how much is it going to cost to repair the car right your segment right. anything model is not gonna help with that right i mean basically like for uh you know like uh for 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 solving that problem because it's not an object you're totally, you're not trying to like get the full car or even a part of a car but you're really looking for something that's a very specific like subset of an image where you, to the human eye we know like this part this, 
this part of the car has been damaged, right? Can we fully automate segmentation at some point? Probably, right? I mean, it's going to take like a additional like attention models like to be plugged in into like a, the vanilla like segment anything or whatnot, right? I mean, so uh, I think eventually we can get there, but there's still a long road to get there, right? I mean, so think about that uh, engineer working for one of those insurance companies, right? Uh, ChatGPT is not going to help him or her, right? I mean, basically, like, it's it's like they still have to build an application, even though they have available tools where they can partially simplify, like, basically, like, how they're going to prepare their data. Uh, they can, they have lots of, like, foundational models they can pick from and tune, right? But uh, yeah. I, I believe, like, this is where the focus needs to go on the market right now, where you're not just, like, making an AI power tool accessible to the masses, but you're empowering people to create the next generation of AI powered anything, right? I mean, so basically like, a, uh, and then that, that, that example, obviously it's just what, right? I mean, so uh, I think, you know, like uh, people, like it's, it's good that we see like a uh, large language models everywhere. It's good that the public is getting interested because I think we narrowly yeah. escaped like uh, the next AI winter that was practically overdue at this stage, right? And so now people take like uh, AI like in a more positive light that basically like a uh, cool stuff is happening, like uh, AI is finally like uh, uh, you know, like living up to the expectations or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're still a relatively long way from making AI usable and practical and really useful for society in general, right? I mean, so basically like this is basically what I'm seeing today now it's like you would think and you might probably like uh, you, you guys probably like come across the same kind of uh, things that you know like why 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 is what you do still needed on the market because chat GPT everything right I mean and basically like obviously like uh, uh, yeah. people who truly are focused on those other important problems like uh, let's say Google DeepMind focusing on protein folding problems, right? I mean, I don't think they're going to solve that problem with ChatGPT, right? I mean, so basically, like, a, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're really seeing a shift on like more specialized applications for, you know, like the the everyday AI use case that, you know, like a, yeah. a, a big black box foundational model is not going to solve. At the same time, I also see like clearly like people building foundational models still need more data when you run out of data it becomes more about quality it becomes more about finding which additional data to generate or to collect right i mean and so basically like those are two very exciting trends i'm seeing right now yeah i i see uh chat gpt like just like you said as the ai in the box is really powerful for educating the masses i guess to a degree and i use education maybe with some air quotes just because i think there's and I know that there is a lot of misconceptions about what ChatGPT is necessarily doing, particularly around information retrieval and the you know the uh, the amount of trust you can have in the information that it's retrieving. But there is an incredible amount of power in providing an interface that shows at least the promise of what I think we all thought, or you know maybe media and science fiction has told us that AI can and could be, and. Uh, which is great. Public attention is phenomenal. Things like, you know, whether or not the Elon pause letter was done in, you know, with any real amount of levity in it. Yeah. Um, but it, it has us all talking and now everybody's aware of what this thing can be and starting to will, like tangibly understand the implications of what this type of technology layered into the internet, let's just call it uh, the interwebs 
uh, could be. But I think it's, to your point, really set us back in, I'd, like on a personal level, I'd think that AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence, should be a non-goal. I'd, I think that the yeah. difficulty it required to go from 90% good, perfect, quality, however you want to define quality in some use case, to 99 to 100%. Like going, like it is all, it's kind of circular, but it goes back to, we live in a non-deterministic world. Yeah. Even an expert human is not going to be a hundred percent at any given task yeah. or at, at, on any given time scale. And let's say, uh, you know, whether they've eaten or not <laughs> and had some water. So at some time scale, they will not be able to do that yeah. task effectively. Yeah. Um, moving into this world where like, if the expectation is like Jarvis and it just does this thing auto magically and it's this all knowing, you know, omni- uh, omnipotent, you know, AI we're, there's going to be a lot of letdown people, yeah, I think, over the course. next few years. Yeah. No, I, but I, I really, what we really need is not like, just the, the boring stuff, yeah, yeah, quote unquote. Yeah. No, exactly. I see, I see ChatGPT as like, you know, like the, the poster child, right? I mean, basically like the proof and like the, the, the one way to bring back like confidence from the masses that basically like this isn't just a dream and there is real technology behind. Yeah. At the same time, it brings back the fears with it, right? I mean, so which is also something that uh, the, like uh, the ML community is going to have to manage and basically like that goes into educating people on how to use the technology and how to be careful about the right. technology and, and how not to override the technology, right? But so just like you, I see the th- same thing. Like I don't believe like true AGI is necessarily a goal because like, look, what human can claim that they know everything about everything? Is it necessary for any of us to have like a role to play in society? Obviously not, right? I mean, basically like I don't need a plumber that also knows how to, you know, like do a soldering or, you know, like a gazillion other things and and know how to fix a computer. If I need to fix a computer, I can somebody who can fix a computer and I don't know the plumber that I, I don't need the plumber to do that. Right. I mean, so basically like uh, there's absolutely no need for, you know, like uh, uh, what, what people call AGI. There's certainly no need for like the reaching conscious AI. Like I personally don't think like the current models are conscious. I personally even think that uh, this is probably never going to happen, but basically like uh, what you really need is, as I said earlier, basically you need the little insurance company to be, able to like uh, you know like facilitate the job of you know like the the experts so that they don't have to travel to the location of an accident to basically decide what to do with the car whether it ever actually makes sense to uh bring the car back to you know like uh, wherever they bring the cars when that are damaged right i mean so basically like so so it's like the real like benefit of ai on society is going to be reached at the point where you don't just like make AI in the box available to everybody, but where you empower any professional to basically like use AI and the tools that that are provided by AI. Maybe it's just like foundational models and basically like there's an easy like a one push of a button solution where, you know, like somebody who doesn't have any expertise in, in computer science in modeling can really like use those models, right? To to basically solve like like mundane everyday problems and that's not going to happen through chat gpt at least not in the, in the its current state right right yeah it's uh it, and it the thing to always know is like we're still just hilariously early days right you know this is all we're all still consuming this at a breakneck pace and uh it just there's some new amazing quote-unquote groundbreaking thing on uh on LLM Twitter going off or uh, something happening on Reddit and just some something that's just uh, 
going to quote unquote change the game. So it, I, I think uh, the best thing that we can all do is just try to keep a sane head, keep with the pace of innovation, understand the shapes that are important here, which ultimately data prep and the focus of the kind of uh, the semantic and human layer on top of data and the understanding that, uh, you know, just like we say, AGI probably is a non-goal. It's about your GI to sit, you know, or say it's, uh, you know, your company's specific intelligence that's going to make the most impact on any given like task. And so, uh, just shifting back a little bit to the shapes that matter, going back to data first principles, understanding that I think a data strategy is required for any enterprise at this point, moving forward to take advantage of any of this. And, uh, any company that is seriously looking to get the most out of the machine learning should seriously consider data prep ops companies like Electio and soft pitch for watchful over here in the same space. Uh, but totally, uh, these tools are going to become more and more common as just like as the barrier to technical entry for anybody to create apps, to do a thing that they want with AI, embed AI into their application. Uh, that's constantly going to get easier and it's going to become more and more important that uh, we have the tools and the processes to meaningfully understand the data that's ultimately producing the outcomes from these ever increasingly commoditized models. Jennifer, I had a wonderful time talking with you. Uh, before we uh, close out, do you have any last words or any plugs for Electio? Where can we find you online and any good stuff? Yeah, I mean, so, so basically, look, like we're very active on social media, like one of the things that, you know, like, uh, so we, we do a lot of like really cool research. So feel free to visit our blog, right? I mean, so www.alexio.com, I mean, so uh, slash blog for like all of the cool new trends or whatnot. We have uh, a newsletter that you can uh, uh, subscribe to. Right? And, so, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're also like uh, always happy to show demos of what we do and uh, you know, like, uh, like bring people on uh, on a trial of the technology. But yeah, definitely like a uh, highly advice. Like if you're either a company that's struggling with like the, a huge volume of data, if you don't want to go for a traditional like labeling kind of approach, right? I mean, one of the things that we do really well is also like uh, uh, identify like the best labeling solution given the budget, the context, the type of data, even the time of day and whatnot, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, uh, similarly, if you don't have enough data, you need to figure out like what data specifically you're gonna synthesize, generate, collect or whatnot. Like we, we also have solutions for that. Awesome, and I will give you a plug for uh, LinkedIn. I do rather enjoy following you on LinkedIn. Always some quality posts going on there. So uh, do follow Jennifer on LinkedIn and Electio. It's, uh, it's always a good time. Well, great. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is John Singleton, co-founder and head of success here at Watchful. Uh, had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Jennifer Prentke. Jennifer, have a wonderful day and uh, we'll talk Same soon. Same to you. Always a pleasure, John.